Well, very, very warm greetings to you, dear friends. I greet you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this is Pastor Brad Abley with a Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry, a ministry that is designed to take you deeper into the Word of God. And we have been going through uh, verse by verse the Gospel of Luke in this series which is called the Know Your Faith series. And what we're going to learn through the Gospel of Luke is we are going to learn all about our faith in Jesus. We're going to learn all about the Christian faith because the Gospel, that's what the Gospel of Luke teaches us. This is part 13 in our series. And today we actually are getting into Luke chapter 2. Uh, Luke chapter one is a was a long chapter verses one through eighty, and we're going to begin in Luke chapter two verse one right now. But before we do, of course, as you know by now, before we ever open up the Word of God, it's vital that we first pray and ask the Holy Spirit for Him to teach us and lead us and guide us. And Father, we do that now. We thank you that you have given the Holy Spirit, to those who call upon Jesus as their Lord and Savior to then dwell in us, to lead us and guide us and teach us uh, your word that you, along with the Son and the Holy Spirit, inspired. We need more of your word, and we pray now for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven in every one of our lives, bear, bring forth great fruit in our lives presently and eternally. For your name's sake, we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, way back uh, at the beginning of this series, when I was taking you through Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, I emphasized again and again that the Gospel of Luke shows us that the, the Christian faith is a historic faith. And what Luke said is he um, addressed this gospel to a, a government official by the name of Theophilus, lover of God. He said that he, let me just read it in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us to compile is to arrange um, in, in a orderly sequence of events, not necessarily chronological, but something that helps to explain the Christian faith to Theophilus and to the other readers, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seemed fitting for me as well, and here it is, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. And that's why I have entitled this series, the Know Your Faith series. Notice the purpose of it, of the Gospel of Luke. Luke tells us, so that you may know. 
the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. So he examined everything carefully. The, the idea there um, in Greek points to the painstaking character of the research. The reason why this is so important, well, there's a couple reasons why this is so important. I've already mentioned this, but it was many weeks ago. Number one, Luke is writing to Theophilus, who is a high government official. And Theophilus would never accept what Luke is writing unless it was historically accurate. Well, that the that is the first reason for why Luke gives so much detail in his gospel. And the second reason for why that's important is for you and for me. And it's been that way ever since this gospel was written. Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wants every believer to know that this is an historic faith. It is rooted in history. It is, there have been so many archaeological discoveries of names and dates and places and events in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, there's actually a an archaeological Bible out. That is, it's the same Bible that, that you hopefully have in your hands, that I have in my hands, but there are commentary notes that show the archaeological discoveries again and again and again throughout Scripture because it shows us, it reinforces this aspect of the Christian faith as an historic faith. Luke wants the readers to know that. And in God's providence, he wants us to also understand that the word that we hold in our hand is truly the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. That brings us to Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And I said all that to say this, that we're going to see we're going to see those details in what Luke writes right now. They're not going to seem all that important to you or to me, but to the original readers it was important because they understood that Luke's credibility hinged on his accuracy. And really, that's the case of the entire Bible. It, its credibility hinges on its accuracy. So here we go, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Beginning in verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, house of bread, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, 
and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, there's a couple things here that are extremely important. I said to you that the Christian faith is an historically accurate faith. But the other vital aspect of the Christian faith is that it is a faith of prophecy and fulfillment. My friends, that's what sets the, the word of God over against any other uh, religious writing is this unique phenomenon of prophecy and fulfillment. It is, it, you can just read it all throughout scripture. Now, one thing I love to see in my own life and I love to see in the word of God is the providence of God. Sometimes the, the quiet or the hidden providence of God. What does that word mean? The providence of God is how he works in human affairs to accomplish his purposes. Sometimes it's obvious. Most of the time it's not. Now, the, the, uh, the book of Micah in the Old Testament in Micah chapter 5 and uh, verse 2, we have a prophecy of where the Messiah would be born. And that's extremely important that here Micah is prophesying. He was a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. So he is prophesying uh, in, the, in the range of the, the, the late 700s to... Um, I'm sorry, the early 700s to the late 600s. He is a prophet to Judah, and he writes in his book in verse 2 of chapter 5, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth his goings forth are from long ago, watch this, from the days of eternity. What you have there, my friends, is a prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He would be the ruler of Israel, and he is from everlasting to everlasting. And that's what the Gospel of John shows us in John 1 verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, the, the Greek word for beginning uh, means from before the foundation of the, before the creation of all that exists. So it, it there's, there's no time. In the beginning was the word. The Greek word translated was is continuous, timeless existence. In the beginning was the word and the word was continuous, timeless existence with God, and the Word was God, continuous, timeless existence. He was in the beginning with God, that is, the Father. And so what we see here that Luke is, is wanting the readers to understand is already we have fulfillment of prophecy even to where Jesus was be born. And I mentioned providence, how God works often behind the scene, the scenes and in human affairs, God used this census to get Joseph and Mary to leave Nazareth and to go down to Bethlehem because that's where Jesus had to be born. You see that? That's encouraging to me. I have witnessed the providence of God 
in my life in in what seem like inconsequ inconsequential ways, what seems like small ways, but one of the great joys of walking with the Lord for many, many years is to is to be sensitive sensitive enough uh, to the Holy Spirit where he can point out things to us of how he is active in our lives. You know, in the Old Testament, he is called Yahweh, or some call it Jehovah. That's just a different pronunciation of Yahweh. And Jehovah would be the German pronunciation. Yahweh is the Hebrew pronunciation. It doesn't matter which word you use. Both are the same thing. However, Yahweh refers to God as the personal, active, covenant-keeping one. That is his very name. That is his very nature. His nature, unlike the pagan deities of the Old Testament era and the New Testament era, God is very personal and he is very active in our lives and he is faithful to keep covenant. We see that right here in, in the fact that he, he had Micah prophesy 700 years before this event happened that this is what would happen, and sure enough, it did. But it looks like kind of an innocent, random thing, but it wasn't because God was in control. He's in control of your life, and he's in control of my life as well. Now, what's interesting here is to me, and what so many people discuss when they discuss the birth of the Messiah, is that the Messiah, Jesus, was not born in a royal palace. He was born in a dirty, filthy manger. Most likely, it was a, a small home that was rented out as a hotel, if you will. Uh, it was an inn, and, and the guests would have stayed in the front of that small home. Probably it was only two rooms, maybe three, and in the front room is where the family would bring their animals in inside at night. And people often slept in the same room or a room adjacent to where their animals slept as well. And so Joseph and Mary were in this, this small enclosed area with stinky animals, smelly animals, and that is the best that they could come up with. It may be that by the time they got to Bethlehem, there was no more room for them. But it also might be, and this is what I think happened, people knew that, I mean, they could see that Mary was pregnant, but they also knew that Mary and Joseph had not consummated their marriage yet. Now, they were engaged for a year, which which had the binding effect of being married, but they had not actually had their wedding yet. And so I think what happened at this point is people wanted nothing to do with them. They thought that Joseph and Mary were sinning and therefore they closed their doors to them. That's what I think probably happened. Um, you don't have to agree with me. It's not something I'm going to write a book over, but I think sometimes you just have to read between the lines. Well, that's enough there. 
But my point here is that she gave birth in a smelly cave-like dwelling in, in the front of a home and Jesus was not born in a palace. And therefore, is that, that's a good example of how he came to identify with every human being. If he came only in a palace, there's no way we could, we could relate to him if he had it easy, so to speak. But at the very beginning of his life, this is what had happened. Well, then Luke goes on in verse 8, and he says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Well, this is where David uh, was, was a shepherd boy in Bethlehem. And the thing about shepherds is it's important to point out that shepherds were, were lowly, despised people. That's very important to consider. Once again, Jesus did not, he was not born in a palace, and the very first announcement of his birth doesn't come to prominent people. It doesn't come to wealthy people. It doesn't come to high officials. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, it doesn't even come to the religious leaders of Israel. It comes to shepherds. Again, in that society, shepherds were dirty. They were smelly. Listen, they dealt with sheep all day long. Sheep are, are dirty. They are smelly. Uh, and, you know, sheep go to the bathroom a lot. Let's just put it that way. So no wonder the shepherds smelled. They were not normally religious Jews. They were not Orthodox Jews. Uh, they, they normally did not go to temple or synagogue. And so they were kind of outcasts in society, but not with God. You see, my friends, God will come to any person that has an open heart towards him. And he's already, in fact, moved upon the heart of the person to be open to him. But I just love this fact that in, and, and again, notice how, how Luke is paying so much careful attention to detail. In the same, same region, verse 8, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. You know, isn't it interesting? Another side thought is that Jesus, what would he eventually call himself? The good shepherd. What did David call Yahweh? The Lord is my shepherd. Isn't that interesting? Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. That is, they were almost paralyzed with fear. They had never been in the presence of an angel, and so it's no wonder that when angelic heavenly beings visit earthly beings, it does bring fear, and it weakens your knees. But notice, notice the heart of God here. They were terribly frightened, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. He must have spoken that in a very calm voice, not a commanding voice, but a gentle voice, which is really the voice of God. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. This is where we get the word gospel from, of great joy, 
which will be for all the people, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well, as we read last week at the end of uh, chapter 1. He says, I bring you good news. This is where we get the word gospel from. And the Greek word gospel means good news. Uh, it means joyful good news of a history-making event or of an event that is extremely important. That No wonder, my friends, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation, for salvation to all who believe. You see, when the gospel is preached, when the good news is shared with people, it has transforming power to completely change a life. I can testify that is a truth, is true for me. The, the night that I heard Billy Graham preach the gospel on television, there was such power and there was such conviction that I got on my knees and I repented of my sin. And when I got up, I knew that I was a brand new person. I could not get enough of the word of God. I could not get enough of the presence of God. I could not get enough of prayer because the gospel had brought me joyful good news. My sins were forgiven and I would never be the same. That is what it does. And it and the angel says, I bring you good news, that is joyful good news, of great joy. You see the, the strong emphasis, which will be for all the people. Verse 11, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ in Greek is Christos, which means the anointed one, the Messiah. The Hebrew word is Mashiach, which is where we get our word Messiah from. So the Messiah is the Savior. The Messiah is born to die. The Messiah will live a perfect sinless life to become God's all-sufficient atoning sacrifice on the cross for you and for me so that we would not have to experience the judgment and wrath of God for our sins, but that was poured out upon Jesus Christ himself. Now, my friend, that is why God takes it so seriously when he gives a offer of salvation to someone and they reject it, or they say maybe another time, this is the greatest sin that there ever has been or that there ever will be a rejection of the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ who gave his life a ransom for many. He gave his life for the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his only unique son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, my friend? He is Christ the Lord. Verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, verse 13, watch this, think about this. 
suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Now this is this is a multitude of angels and these shepherds are standing there watching a heavenly worship service. Well, I can't wait to I get to heaven and I think there's going to be an instant replay of this. They're standing there. God is opening their eyes to see a worship service of the angelic host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. You see, God working through Jesus Christ redeems and reconciles sinful man, sinful women, sinful children to himself, no longer counts our sins against us, and he brings us his peace. Paul tells us in Romans 5 verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Well, verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came, verse 16, in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered, marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Just an amazing thing. But Mary, verse 19, treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, verse 20, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Now, my friends, God used these shepherds as evangelists, if you will. He used the shepherds to go and declare the good news that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was born, that the Messiah had at last come to save his people from their sins. No wonder it's called the gospel, euangelizomai. The Greek word is, I announce good news uh, or joyful good news. I preach the gospel. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, let's pray right now so that you can. Pray these words with me out loud if possible. Lord Jesus Christ, pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. And I'm asking you, Lord, to have mercy on my soul. Forgive me of my sin. Make me your own. And I will live for you. And I will serve you all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you have heard my prayer. And thank you, Jesus, that you are now my Lord and Savior. And now, friend, let me just pray for all of you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace 
both now and forevermore in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God bless you all week long.